If any team leader or manager thinks that their goal is to get everybody to agree, first of all, that rarely happens. But second of all, then all you're doing is trying to get conformity. You can tap and mine conflict. That would be the one resource that I don't think we tap into as much as we could. Hi, you're listening to the Optimize Your Team podcast. It's impossible to leave a conversation with Karen without feeling encouraged, inspired, and learning something. In this episode, Karen tells us about the one change that made the difference to her leadership style, what she's seeing in the next generation of leaders as a professor in the executive MBA program, and how she specifically helps teams through her consulting practice. Hey, Karen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, as have I. Thanks, Rohan. It's good to to catch up with you. Likewise. Well, I'd love to start with a question just around your leadership style. As you Mm -hmm. think about your own leadership style, how would you describe it? You know, it's evolved over the years, but I think in the last probably 10, 15 years, I would clearly define it as a coaching leadership leadership style. Now, granted, I'm an executive coach by profession, but when I'm leading, I just lead with that collaborative effort and really try to find ways to help inspire and, you know, be a catalyst for change and growth. And that would be what I, how I would describe my leadership style at this point in my career. I didn't start that way, but I think I've grown to be that. Uh, I love it. Well, I'm curious because I, I I would certainly describe you as very much that coaching, uh, in, inspirational style. So, how did you start in contrast to this? Well, I think my leadership early on was much more about making things happy and fun and positive, and I didn't use the criticality that I needed to help people grow with the tough things. I thought it was more about making sure everybody was okay. So I think I overemphasized that part of leadership and I didn't really stretch people enough. And so now I find that I'm most effective when I'm really, really stretching people or when somebody says, huh, that's a great, great question or wow, I never thought of it that way. So that's when I know I'm really leaning more toward the coach leadership style. Oh, I love that. You know, a lot of our listeners are members of the Teamalytics Hub. And and Mm -hmm. as you know, the lower criticality is a behavior we often coach. So what was something that helped you get more, grow that criticality behavior in your leadership? You know, what was funny, it was in a coaching session and my coach stretched me in this way. He said, if you're a really high nurture individual and you relationship focused and I, I value relationships, I thrive on relationships. I have more runway for criticality than someone that doesn't have great trusting relationships. So he told me the exact opposite. Not only should I not be filtering my criticality, I should be really stretching that. And I could probably get more out of people than someone that's overly critical. So I took that to heart because my criticality was very, very low. And now I pride myself in inching it up every year. I wouldn't say it's high criticality, but it's definitely leaning much higher than it used to be. And I'm finding better results. So it's really, it's really served me well. 
Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that, Karen. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of people can identify uh, with your experience. You certainly are very good at building relationships. And so using that capacity to then challenge someone, it's almost like, why waste that great opportunity? <laughs> Use it for good, not evil. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. It. All right. Well, let's rewind a little bit. Give us kind okay. of a just a hand wave over your career. You've had so many different uh career moves mm -hmm. and, and, and ways that you invest your time and your experience. Uh, give us kind of a quick highlight of, of the different areas that you've served. I just feel like I've been sort of so fortunate in my career. I call it a portfolio career because it's all evolved organically. When I got out of college, I studied business and I was heavy in the finance and accounting area, started in the oil industry for my first 10 years of work in the talent development department. And they had this department where they were focused on developing technical expertise in finance, engineering, and R&D. And I mean, it was like a window opened. That's what I need. I love working with smart people that do really hard analytical work, but yet they need to grow as well. Left that, started teaching at the college level, and they I started teaching accounting, which wasn't, you know, that was not my favorite thing to teach, but I, I thought I'm going to make accounting fun. And then I moved more into the management and leadership and organizational behavior type uh, classes. I never did that full time. I did it part time because I'm a total business geek. I want to be in business working in messiness. So I started a consulting practice. I worked for many years working a lot of my clients were in the oil industry because that's what I knew. Did that for many years. And after I was still teaching in the executive MBA program and doing this practice, I was offered by a student of mine the opportunity to come work at MGM, the MGM corporate office, you know, that mega hospitality business. And they asked me to come help as they were building this new center. It was called the Finance Shared Service Center. So it was like the perfect intersection of all my finance accounting background and working with leaders in building this organization that, that just allowed everyone to thrive. And my, my very narrow focus was really about leadership development and building bench strength for leaders in the finance organization. So it was fabulous. I did that for three years. Then my husband and I moved to Denver, which was our, our Mecca. That's where we wanted to come back to Denver. And then I went into private practice again. And that's when I started doing some executive coaching with Teamalytics as well. Fantastic. Well, and we met really through the, your role at MGM, which was a pleasure to get to to get to know you and get to work together there. Well, let, let me pull on that thread a little bit that you said, yeah. smart people, uh, you know, doing technical things, right? Kind of mm -hmm. your, your various career experience. I would say a lot of our clients, a lot of our listeners that are going to be listening to this, uh, to this episode are in the manufacturing or the technical mm -hmm. or the finance mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. background. And so you see a lot of people, what, what have you learned building and developing leaders in those types of industries, if you like, what are some of the key things that you'd like some of our listeners to, to bear in mind as they look at developing and growing leaders? I think the biggest observation that I found through working in those venues for so many years was, was that individuals get promoted because of their technical expertise 
or their background or their specialization in some area. And then they're promoted into a leadership role without a lot of information. And I don't know how we expect leaders to become leaders if they don't have any tools or resources or or information. And these are information people. They need data. And so they're trying to figure out how they can do this job as effectively and efficiently and with the amount of impact that they had in their technical roles. So that transition into that unknown, I think is something that we need to be better at helping people traverse. And that's why I really like working with people that they're smart. They just need some tools and give them some tools and then they can apply them and really lead technical areas, which is different than performing or delivering technical output. No, such a great point. You know, it's really interesting. I was uh, speaking with someone earlier last week, actually, and he was contrasting how the the military and specifically the army will promote very well, will have very young officers that d- haven't yet developed a technical understanding of their jobs or their or their even their particular areas of specialty or focus leading these units as young lieutenants. And you've got a very experienced team around you. And really, they're going through the cycles of not coming in as a technical, kind of the flip of what you said, coming mm-hmm. in as a, you know, a novice in many ways uh, from a technical perspective, especially compared with the the people that they're leading, but developing that leadership skill early on mm-hmm. as they go through. And we sort of do it backwards in some ways in the in the corporate sector. We do. However, I think businesses are getting a little bit better at finding potential for people that have this leadership talent or this ability to really navigate groups and teams and and have greater output. So I think that we're starting to look for that with individuals. And, And even though they may not be the technical expert, and maybe because they're not the technical expert, they might be a better team leader or a division leader or a supervisor or a manager mm-hmm. in some form. So I think we're, we're just looking for those unique talents as well. And why not keep technical experts in their area of technology if that's what they want and if that's where they thrive? Sometimes we punish people by by putting them in a management role when that is not at all their picture of how they'd like to contribute. Hmm. Well, no, great point. Uh, well, let me ask you a little bit about, again, your unique experience mm-hmm. uh, in the oil industry and then in the finance industry. It's not particularly mm-hmm. a, a, a female-dominated <laughs> space, right? You, especially especially several years ago. What was your experience like in, in those organizations as a, as a woman, as a, as a leader in these organizations? Give us a little picture of that. Well, here's the good thing. When you hire somebody out of college, they don't know the right questions to ask. (laughs) So I got offered this position in the production and exploration department in an an oil business, and I worked offshore. They decided they wanted their finance specialists to understand the operation so that we could do proper economic analysis. Well, what I also didn't know is they hadn't had women in that role. So uh, they had to fly a building out there for me to 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 stay on this uh, this platform, and so I learned more about oil and gas than I ever thought I would. And I kept thinking, I'm a finance person. What am I doing out here? But it was the best start of a career because I realized there's a lot to be learned, and and don't you know don't put boundaries up around mm-hmm. yourself. So to answer your question, being a woman in these 
typically less female oriented roles, I thought was a complete blessing. It was a challenge and, and it wasn't always positive, but there were, there were just opportunities offered if I was willing to take them. Hmm. What an interesting perspective. So, so you're on an offshore rig. How long did you oh, spend yeah. there? Uh, seven and seven for the first summer. What they did, their new management trainees in the finance department, they'd have us work seven and seven. So I was on a drilling rig. I was on offshore operating platforms and I learned so much. Here's how it paid off. Later in my career, I was also asked to be part of the public relations team where they'd send us out into community groups and speak and, you know, just be the voice of the oil industry. Again, unique having a woman doing that at that time. But what I didn't know is all those, those, I think I was doing it for about three months, all those weeks offshore, I understood it at such a deeper level. So I was afforded the opportunity to go speak because I had that strong understanding. And it was funny because there were very, there were a few male engineers that hadn't even been offshore because their program didn't, didn't uh, set it up that way. And so I was explaining to them what it looked like and what it was. <laughs> it, it was just fascinating. So I learned a lot. But here, mm. here's the, um, the top note. Being offshore in the summer in Louisiana is difficult. <laughs> so I got to experience a hurricane evacuation oh, as wow. well. So that was kind of fun. Wow. And, uh, unbelievable. That's a great perspective, just the incredible opportunity you had given that that particular situation. So what advice would you have maybe to women who are considering careers in or are interested in areas that, that may not be, as you said, historically, where either people have been encouraged or, mm -hmm. or just represented? Well, I think be open, be curious. And if you know that learning is your objective and you can learn in lots of different ways. If you're in a manufacturing plant, go down on the line, learn from what these individuals have to do every day. Learning isn't just within the confines of your office or what it is that you do or for finance people. It's not just on the spreadsheet or the financial statements. It's really about understanding processes, how business works, what it is that, that we're working toward. What are the outcomes? And that's where finance comes in. You get thrilled to see the positive outcomes because it shows up in dollars and cents. But how can you make good recommendations and how can you really understand what it is that you're recommending and, and what you're envisioning for the business if you don't understand the nuts and bolts? So I think opportunities, any kind of opportunity to learn and grow and expand your understanding is valuable. It really is. And sometimes you have to make those opportunities yourself. Somebody isn't going to come up and say, hey, Karen, would you like to go offshore? It, it is maybe you asking or you just seeking or learning out on your own if you need to. No, that's a that's a great point. And, you know, you're obviously very adventurous to be willing to do something like that. Was that kind of a no brainer or was did you have to go away and think about it or did it no. just sort of happen to you and you didn't really have a choice? Oh, it happened and I didn't have a choice when I showed up my first day and they said, oh where's your hard hat? And I said, excuse me. 
<laughs> no, no, no. I'm a finance. I, I'm a financial analyst. And they said, didn't they tell you about the steel toe boots? I didn't know boots had steel toes. So I had to go get the equipment and they said, you're going to be going offshore. And I said, oh my goodness, a field trip. That's wonderful. They said, oh no, didn't they explain you were going to have this training period? And I said, I said, yes. And they said, well, it involves three months of observing operations offshore. So yes, naivety came into play, but it ended up being the best learning mm. experience of my life. It really did. And I, did, I think it set the tone for me to not exclude possibilities that don't seem obvious. I love that. So, so being open, going with the flow and be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Uh, love it. Love it. Very, very inspiring. Uh, well, you know, another topic, and I want to switch over to some of the work you're doing at the MBA program and in, in developing mm -hmm. new leaders. But before we go off of that, obviously, a really hot topic right now is for our leaders, most of our listeners, is the whole area of building diverse teams mm -hmm. and inclusion, um, just expanding from kind of the same old way we've done things. What mm -hmm. advice would you have for our listeners around just actionable things we can do to build more inclusive teams, teams where people mm -hmm. feel engaged and welcomed and that they can bring their best selves to, to work? I think the probably the first tip that I would suggest is to not look for team members that are just like you. And I don't mean that in the diversity mindset that we hear today. I mean, literally different backgrounds, different life experiences, different perspectives, in addition to diverse, uh, all, all the traditional diversity opportunities that you have. But if you find people that are unlike you, you're going to learn more. If you build a team that's just like you in every way, you're going to be limited to what you already know. So I think that that would be the first um, challenge that I mm. would offer a young leader is to consider that the biggest opportunity that you might be able to offer yourself is, is looking for different thoughts. Then when you have that, how do you build engagement? is to be open to those thoughts and to not have consensus as your goal. If any team leader or manager thinks that their goal is to get everybody to agree, first of all, that rarely happens. But second of all, then all you're doing is trying to get conformity. Hmm. Conflict is the biggest Oh, gosh, it's just such a tool, such a resource. And if you can tap and mine conflict that's healthy and interesting and we challenge one another and we bring a different perspective and we argue our points, but come to a conclusion and have agreement at the end of the conflict that this is where we're going to move. But everyone's been heard. Everyone has had the opportunity to ask questions and get buy-in to whatever it is we agree on. And I think it's even better to celebrate the fact that you can agree on something that isn't exactly your idea or your plan. So that would be, that would be the one resource that I don't mm. think we tap into as much as we could. Because conflict's well, tough you, right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. It's kind of everywhere you look. Well, how would you, you sort of contrasted consensus with uh -huh. conclusion. So right. how would you contrast the two? What is, what is the difference? And what's the difference between a, a conclusion versus consensus? And how do you know when you've reached it? 
Well, consensus is when you you keep fighting till everybody agrees and you're just wearing somebody down until they say, okay, okay, I agree. But they really don't. And they leave the meeting and they Mm -hmm. didn't agree. And they say, well, that's your decision. But a conclusion is when everybody's been able to really express their thought, their ideas, their disagreement their challenges, the uh, mitigating the risks that they're hearing. And then as a team, you come to a conclusion that's the best outcome or the best decision that the group can come with. And so that is buy-in. It's Mm. not consensus. I think consensus is the enemy of buy-in in many instances. Yeah, it's really powerful. I love that. We don't often think about inclusion involving conflict. But what you just said was, if if we're going to bring people that are different to us and have a different perspective, of course, we're not going to just all be uniform and, and, and no. conform. So we better grow our conflict skills to yeah. make sure that we can have healthy, productive conflict. Otherwise, what's the what's the use of diversity? Yeah. It, it, diversity yeah. isn't putting a bunch of different people together and then making them the same. It's finding the value in this unique thought and experience and perspective and coming up with a better alternative, a third alternative that has maybe a little bit of spice from each idea. Love that. Love that. All right. Well, let's switch gears now to what you're seeing in in some of the next generation leaders. You've been involved with the MBA program for a while. Uh, What are you seeing maybe that's a little different in this next generation of leaders uh, versus what we're seeing in, in the workplace right now? You know, I have seen a change. And it's, it's really been an interesting change. I teach in the executive MBA program. So these are people that are already established right. leaders. They have to have a minimum of seven to 10 years leadership, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of titled, you know, doctors, lawyers, you know, a lot of people that are coming back learning business because they've come to realize they're running a business. So I Got think it. the biggest change that I've noticed over these last two, three years is that many of the students aren't going to get their MBA for a specific promotion. And they're not necessarily doing it for their business because, you know, frankly, several businesses aren't sponsoring, financially sponsoring these educations like they did in the past. So they're they're really owning it for themselves and saying, if I'm going to invest this time and money, I want to have an outcome for the career that I'm envisioning. So it's interesting with that. I'm seeing I don't want to say less loyalty to the business, but I'm seeing more commitment to their career growth and their development as a leader than doing it just for the business. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So it's almost people sort of, you know, maybe again, I I might be putting words into your mouth, but I'm sort of thinking about this myself, where maybe at one point we look to organizations or we look to our leadership to kind of invest into us, so to speak, Mm -hmm. versus I'm, I own my career, I own my development, I'm actually willing to invest in it and right. take ownership of it to, to a greater level perhaps than we have in the past. And, and that's exactly it. But the ROI tends to be different. When the programs were sponsored by businesses more heavily, I'd say when I first started teaching, it was at least 50%, but mm. it's not that anymore. I mean, they'll contribute a little bit in some instances, but I'm seeing people wanting individual ROI as well. And here's the best part. I'm seeing many people seeking an MBA just 
for the reason of learning and wanting to expand their skill set. For example, I had a, a young man that's a physical therapist. He owns a physical therapy business. He loves physical therapy. He loves the athleticism and, and all of the clients that he works with, but he wasn't making money. So it was ruining his love of this field when he was staying up at nights trying to figure out how am I going to pay the staff? How am I going to, uh, you know, handle the, the, all the insurances and the, what about the space and do I need to lease different space? So he found that he had skills that would augment the profession that he loved. So he, he took it upon himself to go learn a little bit more about marketing and accounting and those necessary evils to some of those necessary mm -hmm. skills that are, that an entrepreneur or a business leader needs to have. It's the language of business. Right. Well, I think, you know, I'm just re reflected as you were talking about this shift in people really taking ownership over their own development, their career. I was at a conference recently with a, a lot of HR leaders who were talking mm -hmm. about, A, how competitive and and how difficult it is to find talent in this current environment that we're all in, and and B, how much people have been reevaluating their own careers and, you know, in the light of everything we've gone through with COVID and the shutdowns and the, uh, you know, just the, the level of uncertainty. On the one hand, you would think that drives people towards certainty, but on the other hand, it's sort of driven people to really rethink their own careers. And so I think taking that with, with what you're talking about, it's really important for us as leaders to make sure that we're investing into our leaders. Yeah. We're giving people opportunity to see that, that we're helping them uh, because we, we care about them and we want to see them grow beyond just, well, I have this business outcome that you know I'd like to achieve, so therefore I'm going to use you as a widget to go achieve that. Yeah. And I'm also seeing that need to embrace ambiguity more than we used to. I mean, just the last year, having to convert to remote work and all the changes, the nimbleness that we as leaders are expected to have now, that is kind of expanding that need for learning as well. And so, just like you said, I think that it is a relationship and we mm -hmm. have to find ways to understand that this ambiguity and this fluidity in business and our culture is going to impact people differently. So we have to meet them where we where they are. And the only way you'll know is by communicating with them. You have to have these conversations. Otherwise, how, you can't just throw a bunch of benefits out there and hope that one of them satisfies somebody. You have to speak one-on-one -on -one and have those really intentional conversations to find out where are you? Where are you going? How can I help support you getting there? And it's it's a meaningful time to be a leader right now. No, no kidding. Well, let me let me kind of take that thread a little further and sure. tap into the phase of of your career now, where mm -hmm. we get to work together at Teamalytics. Yeah. You've also got a bunch of other clients that uh, that you have through your consulting practice. Uh, so, as you've worked with these different organizations and different teams, from your perspective, why is it that sometimes you have a a, a team of high performing individuals, talented, experienced, knowledgeable, that sometimes just gets stuck? What, what have you seen in your experience that that kind of gives us some insight into why teams get stuck and how we can avoid uh, being a leader of a team that 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 is stuck or maybe just below their potential? Well, I've never worked in an organization 
or in any kind of uh, within business or outside of business where a team doesn't get stuck. That's a good thing. So when it gets stuck, there's something new that has to happen, right? What's the definition definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So getting stuck isn't the problem. Getting unstuck is the challenge. So having a team that's stuck just means that you need to look at things a little bit differently. Maybe that's where you need new data. You need new feedback. You need to have a more inspiring vision. You need to make sure that everybody is feeling like they're contributing to something that's meaningful. So when a team gets stuck, that's when you need to really bring in your big leadership you know, potential, your big leadership skills and say, what's changed here? What do we need to address? And it may be at the individual level or it may just be at the team level. Maybe they just haven't had a shared project that is exciting and new and different and and they need to be stretched in some way or give them the opportunity to do something to enhance a process or uh, some sort of function that your department is, is working on at this time. So I think the idea of working toward never having a team stuck is probably unrealistic, but the idea of having leaders that can identify when a team is stuck and really engage them differently and and address it and see if you can unearth some of the the stickiness that is getting them stuck uh, to move into the next phase. I love that. Thank you. All right. I'm going to move into our rapid fire section here. So I'm just going to ask you these questions real quick and just just get your responses. Okay. Favorite day of the week. Oh, Friday. It's always Friday. Friday, you get to celebrate all of your accomplishments of the week. You get to check mark off your to-do list and then you anticipate a really great weekend. Love it. Texting or talking? Oh, easy talking. I connect deeply with people. I mean, I'm a good texter. I got some good emoji game, but it's talking. That's where you really get to hear a whole lot more than any emoji. Love it. A favorite productivity hack for leaders. You know, this one is like the most simple hack that I could offer. It's learn to learn when to say no. And I heard a quote early on. If you don't unequivocally believe that yes, you should be doing that, the answer should be no, which usually leads you to delegation. Love it. Favorite phone app? Audible. I love to listen to books as I'm walking or if I have to drive to appointments, uh, Audible. It's it, Although I have to speed it up. These narrators are a little slow. So... <laughs> Most impactful book you've read this year? You know, I just read a book that was just recently published and it it really caught me because of a lot of the coaching conversations I've had. Mm. This book is called Anxiety at Work. And it talks about its eight strategies to help teams build resilience, handle uncertainty and get stuff done. So this book has specific COVID related, COVID era organizational challenges, and it gives you some strategies as a leader to help identify when anxiety might be um, a challenge for an individual or this ambiguity when it could impact uh, an organization negatively. So this one really caught my attention because a lot of the conversations I've been uh, having with leaders. 
Oh, fantastic. Thanks for the recommendation. Mm -hmm. uh, best advice you've ever been given? The best advice obviously came from my mother. It was, if you are true to your values, you will always make a good decision. Hmm. So keep them front and center. Know what's important. Know your values and you will never make a bad decision. Sounds like a wise woman. Uh, she yeah, was. I, I, Love it. Thanks so much, Karen. Well, I've really enjoyed everything we've talked. Every time I spend time with you, I learn, I leave feeling inspired and excited. Oh. Uh, I especially was struck with just this balance of that relationship, but embracing conflict, not just to grow as a leader, but to build more thoughtful and intentional and even inclusive teams. Who would have thunk mm -hmm. it? Uh, you know, <laughs> flex that conflict muscle. So I love your encouragement and the insight that you've shared there. How can people connect with you uh, Karen, if they want to continue a conversation, are you active on a particular social media, LinkedIn? LinkedIn is always easiest, but I'm on the Teamalytics website. My email address is right there, karen.durkin at teamalytics.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions, uh, share any insights. Uh, I'm happy to be there. Fantastic. Karen, thank you so much for your time. Really loved having you here today. Thanks, Rohan. It was a lot of fun. If you enjoyed this episode of the Optimize Your Team podcast, head over to our website, teamalytics.com, to find out how we can help leaders like you grow your team. Or if you have someone that you'd like to nominate as a guest, send me an email at podcast at teamalytics.com.